Well, you can see from the title on the screen behind me that uh, this is what we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes, about being a praying church. There are many things that move us to prayer, but I really believe the church should be faithful, church should be committed to these things. In fact, the very first church, the early church, was committed to praying. It says in Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. These were the four things the early church focused on. They didn't do anything else. They didn't have committees. They didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have small groups. When they came together, they focused on these four things, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, and prayer. And so it's the fourth one that I want us to focus on today. In fact, much of my message will be given to prayer as we come down to the end of it. But first, let's hear what the Scriptures say so that we can set our mind on this wonderful privilege that we have, and that is to pray to our Heavenly Father. There are seven questions that I want to ask you this morning. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time elaborating on all seven questions, or we'll be here till next week. I have enough information that could take us three weeks. But my plan is, is to just share some of these things, make some brief comments, and then I want to spend the remainder of the service in prayer. And as I said, there are obvious reasons that we need to pray. We can look around the room and take one of those obvious reasons, right? But we need to be a praying church regardless, not just because we want to reach people and we want people to be a part of our ministry right here and do ministry together. And But prayer is just simply seeking the Lord, and that's what we want to do this morning is seek Him. So before I ask the first question, I want to read this quote to you. And it says this, Churches can run without prayer. Whole denominations can run without prayer. The question is, is what they're doing worth doing if they can do it without prayer? I read that and I was thinking about us. Because we could ask the same question, is what we are doing worth doing if we can do it without prayer? I mean, really, how much do you prepare yourself for coming together? Do you pray as you're on your way here? Do you pray during the week for the people that will be here, for the preaching of God's Word, for any new people that the Lord may bring in here? So again, that's the question. Is what we're doing here worth doing if we could do it without prayer? And we may answer no, but sometimes our actions demonstrate otherwise. How can we expect God to bless and grow this church if, if we have forsaken the very means by which it's going to happen? So I want to turn our minds to the Word of God as we talk about this most neglected duty and privilege that we have. And as I said, I want to begin by asking seven questions. And the first question is a very simple question, but it's a question that 
I know you know the answer to. In fact, you know the answer to much of these questions. But I want you again to hear what the Scripture says, how it answers it. And the first question is simply this, what is prayer? What is it? As I said, the Scripture gives different descriptions to help us understand what it is. And let me just give you what those descriptions are. First, it's bowing the knees. Bowing the knees. Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Secondly, it's looking up. When you pray, do you look up sometimes? Psalm 5.3, O Yahweh, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning I will order my prayer to you and eagerly watch. Bowing the knees, looking up. The third one that the Bible gives is lifting up the soul. Lifting up the soul. Psalm 25.1, to you, O O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. Lamentations 3.41 gives us a fourth answer to this, lifting up the heart. We lift our heart to our hands toward God in heaven. So just think of this as we've already shared this much. Bowing the knees, looking up, lifting up the soul, lifting up the heart. Or even this one, pouring out the heart. Psalm 62, verse 8, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And I think we all understand what it means to pour out your heart. And we've done that many times, many occasions that have brought us to that. But there's also the pouring out of the soul. That's just pouring out everything that you have. All that's within you. 1 Samuel 1, 15. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before Yahweh. And this is Hannah there in the temple. And she went to the temple praying for a child. Remember that? We don't have people praying many times like this for babies, but they should, because babies are precious in the sight of God, and babies are a gift of the Lord. And here, Eli thought she was drunk because she's over there praying and her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. How many of you pray like that? Well, she states her case. She's neither drank wine nor strong drink, but she was pouring out her soul before Yahweh because she desired to have a child. Genesis 12.8 talks about calling upon the name of the Lord. It says, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. He pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to Yahweh and called upon the name of Yahweh. This is Abraham. He built the altar and he went and called upon the name of the Lord. So prayer could be described as bowing the knees, looking up, lifting up the soul, lifting up the heart, pouring out the heart, pouring out the soul, calling upon the name of the Lord. How about this one? This is a practical one. Crying to God. And many times that's mixed with pouring out your soul, right? And pouring out your heart. 
Psalm 34, 6, This poor man called out and Yahweh heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And sometimes our troubles do overwhelm us, don't they? Sometimes uh, they're just so heavy and there's much sorrow with it. But I think the whole point is, it's like in this next description where Psalm 73, 28 talks about drawing near to God. It says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've set Lord Yahweh as my refuge that I may recount all your works. So I draw near. And even 2 Chronicles 32.20 talks about crying to heaven. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and they cried out to heaven. How many of you have done that? I think we've all done that. Or even this next one talks about pleading with the Lord. Exodus 32.11 Then Moses entreated the favor of Yahweh his God and said, O Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a strong hand? God was ready to destroy them for their idolatry, their disobedience, scorning the word of God. You know, it's by the mercy of God that we all are even here today. It's by the mercy and the grace of God and the cross of Christ that none of us are consumed. But that God has granted us forgiveness in Christ, right? Two more descriptions. Psalm 27, 8 talks about seeking God. It says, On your behalf my heart says, Seek my face. Your face, O Yahweh, I shall seek. I mean, that's determined. If you're seeking after something, you're determined to find it, right? I know when I lose something around the house, I start out looking for it, and I don't just give up. I keep looking until I find it. And if you're like anybody else that, you can't do anything else until you find what you're looking for. And then last one is making supplication. Jeremiah 36, 7 says, Perhaps their supplication will come before Yahweh, and everyone will turn from his evil way, for great is the anger and the wrath that Yahweh has spoken against his people. So here's some understanding, some ideas of what prayer is. It's bowing the knees, it's looking up, it's lifting up the soul. It's lifting up the heart, pouring out the heart, pouring out the soul, calling upon the name of God, crying to God, drawing near to God, crying to heaven, pleading with the Lord, seeking God, and making supplication. Now this is not an exhaustive description. But a simple one would just simply be communication. Talking to God, right? And I know prayer is hard work. I know that in my own life. And you probably realize it in yours. When you survey your life and you ask yourself, how much do I really talk to God? Some of you may talk a lot to Him and don't really have an issue with that question. Others may say, well, I don't talk to Him enough. Or I don't talk to Him as I should. But we do need to talk to Him. We do need to commune with Him. And we have a privilege to do that. Because we're talking about communing with the Creator. 
talking to the Creator and pouring out our soul before Him. Well, that's the answer to what is prayer. The second question is, is why should we pray? I mean, we hear the descriptions and somewhat it tells us in those descriptions why we should. But here's some specific answers to that. The first one is this. God commands us to pray. Did you know that? Did you realize that? Here's your three verses that speak of this. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Samuel said this, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against Yahweh by ceasing to pray for you. But I will instruct you in the good and upright way. He said it was actually a sin if he didn't continue to pray for them. Have you ever looked at that? In that same way? Or how about this one? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. You say, well, how in the world am I going to pray without ceasing? I can't bow my head everywhere I go. Um, Heads up here. (laughs) You don't have to close your eyes. And please don't close your eyes if you're walking or driving. But some people believe that they can't pray unless they do. And I know we have taught kids to close their eyes when we pray. And the part of that is so that they're not distracted and looking around and cutting up and doing all the those things that kids do. But praying without ceasing is really more of an attitude. We're to have this attitude of prayer all the time so that no matter what's going on in your life, you're ordering it to the very presence of God. So we want to pray without ceasing. The third one is in 1 Timothy 2 in verse 8. Where Paul says, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So, the sense of the Scripture on praying is that we should be doing it all the time. We should have an attitude of prayer. We shouldn't cease. We shouldn't stop. It's a sin if we don't pray. And we're to pray in every place and we're to lift up our hands. And we're to do this without any wrath and without any dissension in our hearts. Years ago when I attended a Pentecostal church, and that was the first church I attended after I got saved because the brother that led me to the Lord was a Pentecostal. And I went to church with him. And that's usually what you do. The guy that or a woman that leads you to the Lord, you go to church with them. But while I was there, one of the things that I did notice is that it was a praying church. They prayed all the time. And that just tells me how much more we need to do it. Really doesn't so much depend on the denomination. It depends on your heart. Depends on your theology of God, your understanding of who He is, your understanding of His Word. And if your heart is ready to obey Him, that's what you do. You obey Him. But you want it to be more than just a command, you know what I mean? It's to be a way of life. 
And it is for a child of God. It is a way of life. Because prayer to the Christian is just like breathing. And as I said a moment ago, it's communication. And, and it can't be one-sided, you know, where you're reading the Word, where God's speaking to you as you read the Word, but you never talk to Him. It's a two-way conversation. We talk to Him, and He talks to us right here. Right here, God's Word. But aside from it being a command, let's take the example of others in Scripture. Jesus prayed. I don't think any of us disagree with that, right? And if He felt it was important enough to pray, then it's important. And it's serious. And we should do the same thing by following His pattern. Hebrews 5, 7 says, He... Jesus, in the days of His flesh, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. We know that place where He's anticipating going to the cross and He's sweating great drops of blood, and He's praying for this cup to pass from him, but he says, not my will, but your will be done. And he drank of that cup, didn't he? The, the wrath of God that he took for us. Mark one thirty-five. we looked at this last time, says in the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus rose up, went out of the house, and he went away to a desolate place and was praying there. And as I shared with you, as we were looking at Mark, we saw that there were healings taking place that he was involved in where he was healing Simon's mother-in-law and he was healing all that they were bringing to him and he was casting out demons and he also healed a man who was a leper. Well, before he even healed the man who was a leper, he went to this solitary place. The power didn't come in the miracles that he was performing. The power came in the prayer. The very prayers he was pouring out to the Father. So why should we pray? Well, we're commanded. And secondly, why should we pray? Is because Jesus prayed and He is our example. And not only is He our example, but... The early church also prayed. Acts 1.14, they're there in the upper room, it says, they were with one accord, continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus and His brothers. And I already read to you Acts 2.42, which talked about that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. This was a pattern, like in chapter 6 of Acts. There was a need that arose among the Greek-speaking Jews, the Hellenists. They were being neglected in the daily distribution of the food, and they came and expressed this problem to the apostles. And the apostles says, we cannot leave the Word of God to serve tables. So you need to choose out among you seven men. And then he gave them the qualifications that they were to look for in these seven men. And then they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. That problem was very important. That problem was something that needed to be met. 
but it was also a problem that other people could meet and that the apostles didn't have to leave the priority of the teaching of the Word of God and the ministry of prayer to meet that need. The people could be involved in that and choosing based upon certain criteria to meet that need. And they did. When Peter was in prison, it tells us in Acts 12.5 that prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. In fact, in kind of one situation in that chapter, that when Peter was released, the very thing that they were praying about, and Peter comes and knocks on the gate, and the servant girl Rhoda comes, and she opens and says, it's Peter and closes the gate and goes back and tells everybody else in the room that Peter's at the gate. And it's almost like, well, why didn't you let him in? And they didn't even believe it that he was there at the gate. So I would take from that, when you pray, pray believing. You know, God can answer this prayer. So the early church prayed. Jesus prayed. Also, we see Paul prayed. In Acts chapter 9, we're told in verses 10 and 11 that in that chapter on his way to Damascus as he was persecuting Christians, there was this great light that had shined and it blinded him and Jesus is talking to him. And after that conversation he had with Jesus, he couldn't see. So they led him to Damascus, to the city of Damascus. He went to the house of Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, another man named Judas. And then there was a vision that Ananias had where he was to go over and lay his hands on Paul. And in that vision, the Lord said to Ananias, Rise up. Go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. That's very specific, isn't it? Lord hears your prayers. He sees your prayers, too. He sees you pouring out your heart. When Paul and Silas were in jail, their feet were fastened in the stocks. They had been beaten. They were in that jail cell at midnight praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And it says, and the prisoners were listening. You never know what the situation in your life's going to be, but you are committed to the Lord no matter what, and you're committed to prayer. Well, that's why we should pray. God commands us. Jesus prayed. The early church prayed. Paul prayed. Let's ask now, how should we pray? How should we do this? Well, let me give you several ways. Let me give you seven of them. First, pray humbly. Pray humbly. Psalm ten seventeen. O Yahweh, we have heard the desire of the humble. You will strengthen their heart. You will cause your ear to give heed. And what is causing him to hear? They humbled themselves before him. So pray humbly. Secondly, pray boldly. 
It says in Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Christ, because of His work on the cross, His work of redemption, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Whereas before, you remember the sanctuary had a curtain and that curtain separated from the Holy of Holies, and by having a curtain there, God was basically saying, stay out. But what happened when Jesus died on the cross? What happened to that curtain? It was ripped in two. And it's as if God is saying, come in! And we do come in as we commune with our Savior. It's a privilege that you and I have. Yes, it's hard work, but it's a privilege that we have to commune with the living God. We also need to come in faith. That's the third one. This is a verse that was spoke to my heart very early in my walk. And it was Hebrews eleven six. It says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who draws near to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We can't please Him apart from faith. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. But as we draw near to God, we believe that He is. He exists. That's why we draw near to Him, right? And He's also a rewarder of those who seek Him. And how are we to seek Him? With our whole heart, right? So, how should we pray? Humbly, boldly, in faith. Next, we would say sincerely. It says in Psalm 145 and verse 18, Yahweh is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. I'm going to be sincere as you call upon His name. Honest before Him. It's foolish to think that we can hide anything from the Lord. You know, when Adam and Eve hid in the garden after they sinned, and took of the forbidden fruit, it was really foolish for them to hide because God is omniscient. He is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere and He knows everything. He knows it before it happens. He knows the reaction you're going to have before you demonstrate it. Next, we would say that we should pray simply. Sometimes you may be around somebody praying with you and they use such big terms that you just had a theological lesson in, in vocabulary, but you don't know what in the world they said because you didn't understand much of the terms. You just need to be simple when you're coming up before the Lord. And, and we get this from Matthew 6, 7. It says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Don't come to the Father with a bunch of words. Or even in this case, with meaningless repetition. Repetition there, or meaningless repetition, it's, it's a word that really is describing a sound. Batalageo. And what he is saying, don't when you pray, come to him with some unintelligible speech. Batalageo, it's just a sound. Bata, 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 bata. He's saying, don't do that. 
Don't come like that. And yet it's amazing that those who say that tongues are for today and it's a personal, private prayer language seem to not recognize this verse right here. Jesus doesn't want you to come praying to Him in tongues. He never did. He wanted you to come with intelligible language. And there is no prayer in the Bible that is written from an unintelligible language. We can read all the prayers in the Bible, and they're clear, they're simple, we understand them in the language in which our Bible is written in. So how should we pray? Humbly, boldly, in faith, sincerely, simply, two more. We should pray persistently. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. It's a devotion. Be persistent. Endure through it. And next we would just simply say, entirely. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. He wants all of our heart. He wants everything about you. Your mind, your will, your emotions. D.L. Moody said, We are to ask with a beggar's humility, to seek with a servant's carefulness, and to knock with the confidence of a friend. So as we already see here this morning, and as we prepare for some time of prayer, You may bow your knees, you may look up, you may lift up your soul, you may lift up your heart, you may pour out your heart, you may pour out your soul, you may call upon the name of the Lord, you may cry to God, draw near to God, cry to heaven, plead with the Lord, seek God, make supplication. And you do it humbly, boldly, in faith, sincerely, simply, persistently, and entirely. That's only three questions. Here's the fourth question. When should we pray? Well, the answer is all the time. We already answered it in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray how? Without ceasing. Pray all the time. Luke 18.1. Now, he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Jesus said here he was telling them a parable, or Luke was telling, that Jesus was telling them a parable that they are to pray at all times. Even Paul said that in Ephesians 6.18. After he has talked about the very armor of the believer that the believer is to put on and leave on, he ends it by saying, praying at all times. Even Paul said in 1 Timothy 5.5 when when considering the support of a widow, he says this, Now she who is a widow indeed, and who has been left alone, has fixed her hope on God, and continues in petitions and prayers night and day. So we should be praying all the time. We should have, as I said, this attitude of prayer. And and by the way, you know, when we say in Jesus' name, amen, some people believe that that's just kind of tacking something on the prayer. Like one person said, if you don't say that, that's like sending a letter without a stamp. (laughs) That's just ridiculous. 
In fact, most of the prayers, or if not all the prayers you find in the Bible, don't end that way. Some don't even end. Some do end with amen, but some don't end with anything. They ended their prayer and they stopped and that was it. And that was the end of it. But let me just tell you, because we do pray in Jesus' name. And what does that mean? Well, you're praying consistently with who He is, with His character, His person. So when you pray, you can pray back this way. Lord, I pray this because I believe this is what Jesus would want. And if you pray that way, that will really change what you're praying about. It will maybe make your prayers less selfish. Because a lot of times our prayers are really more petitions than anything. So where should we pray? Where should we do this? 1 Timothy 2.8, read it to you earlier, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray. Every place. I did a little survey just to see at some of the places that the apostles prayed. Well, Acts 1.14, Acts 9.11, Acts 9.40. They prayed in homes. Acts 3.1, they prayed at the temple. Matthew 6.5, they prayed in the synagogues. Acts 16.25, they prayed in jails. Cornelius prayed in his house, Acts 10.30. Paul prayed on the beach, Acts 21.5. He also prayed on a ship, Acts 27.35. Jesus prayed on a mountain, Luke 6.12. So wherever you are, pray. Some pray in the shower, some pray in the bath, bathroom, some pray as they're walking, some pray as they're driving, some pray with people, some pray alone, some pray in homes, some pray in churches, some pray in pews, some pray in hospitals, some pray in funeral homes, anywhere, everywhere, and at all times. The next question, though, I have to ask is what hinders us when we pray? Because there are some things that hinder us. Let me give you five of them. First is unconfessed sin. David said in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So if you're involved in some kind of sin and you haven't confessed that sin, God's not hearing your prayers. So unconfessed sin hinders us. What about insincerity? It says in Matthew 6, 5, When you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. The whole point of their prayer was just so that people would see them and praise them for what they were doing. Oh, these are really spiritual people. They've been standing on that corner for 30 minutes praying. You can be insincere. You could be doing it for show. And, and, and to be honest with you, I, you know, and I've told you this before, that it is, to me it's very hard to pray publicly because I really want to pour out my heart like I do when I'm in private. And sometimes I do pour out my heart somewhat in that way, but there's some things that I pray about privately that I don't pray with anybody. Or what about the third one, wrong motives? 
James 4.3, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. See, you could change that if you prayed what I said a few moments ago when you pray in Jesus' name and you're praying what Jesus would want. That's going to change your motives right there if you think about that. But sometimes people have the wrong motives when they pray. Or what about unbelief? You say, but I believe. But yeah, you don't always express that faith when you pray. Or your lack of prayer may be unbelief. It says in James 1, 5, and 6, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and the way that reads back in the Greek, it's more like this. If any of you lacks wisdom, and he does, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. What does that mean? You can ask of God. He's a generous God. He's not going to scold you for asking, no matter how many times you ask. You're not going to wear him out. He's a God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, doubting nothing. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And you've been there on the beach, and you've saw the surf and the wind, and it's just kind of chaotic there. Let me give you this last one that can hinder your prayer life. Marriage problems. 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So if there are some marriage issues, then that's going to cause a problem. You know, it says over in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, it says, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You know what this is talking about? The beautiful relationship of sex between a husband and a wife. That's the context. He says, stop depriving each other, except for prayer. You both have agreed to pray. So marriage problems can certainly cause a hindrance to our prayers. My last question, and you have an insert in your bulletin if you want to pull that insert out, and it says, what are we to pray for? After I read this, I want to give the remainder of our time to prayer. And that doesn't mean I'm just going to stand up here and pray for 30 minutes or whatever. But no, that means that we're all going to pray. Some of us will pray out loud. Some will pray silently. And as we we do this, we're, we're going to have this list here of some things we can pray about. That list will also be on the screen behind me. But as we consider this last question... Listen to a few of these quotes. D.L. Moody said this, What we want is to press our case right up to the throne of God. Now, beloved, you are always in the presence of God. There's never a time when you're not. So everything that you do is like being at the throne of God. 
He says we cannot be too frequent in our request. God will not weary of his children's prayers. So as you come before him, you press your case before him, and maybe you're praying about some of the same things you prayed about over and over and over and over before, just remember, God's not weary of your prayers. John Calvin said, doubtful prayer is no prayer at all. And John MacArthur writes, Prayer begins and ends not with the needs of man, but with the glory of God. It should be concerned primarily with who God is, what He wants, and how He can be glorified. So as you pray, keep that in mind. And one more quote is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, Do not claim, do not demand, Let your requests be made known. Let them come from your heart. God will understand. We have no right to demand even revival. Some Christians are tending to do so at the present time. Pray urgently. Plead. Use all the arguments. Use all the promises. But do not demand. Do not claim. Never put yourself in the position of saying, if we but do this, then that will happen. God is a sovereign Lord, and these things are beyond our understanding. Never let the terminology of claiming or of demanding be used. And that Pentecostal church that I was talking about a few moments ago that I went to, they started doing that, and I left. My thoughts were, I wanted to be out of the way if God did something in response to their foolishness. I didn't want to be a part of that. Demanding stuff from God? Who are we? So let me give you some things to pray about. First, pray that God's word would be given to you when you open your mouth. I think of this when I'm witnessing to somebody. It says in Ephesians six nineteen and 20, it says, As well as on my behalf, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, so that in proclaiming I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So pray for me. Pray on my behalf that... God's word may be given to me as I open my mouth. And you've experienced that. You're witnessing to somebody. You're talking to someone about Christ. And all of a sudden, you have things coming out of your mouth. And you stop for a minute and listen to what your lips are saying. Yeah, it's got to be God doing that. So pray that God's word would be given to you when you open your mouth. Secondly, pray for an open door for the word. Colossians 4.3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the Word, so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I have been bound, that I may make it manifest in the way I ought to speak. You pray for that? I mean, do you think of the lost in that regard? That number one, you want to speak to them, so you want God's Word to come to your mouth as you're speaking to them, but you're also praying for an opportunity an open door 
Sometimes those doors are swung so far open in front of us and you, you have to fall through it to not see it, but we don't always take the opportunities. Three, pray that God's or pray that the gospel would spread rapidly and be honored. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. We want to see the word multiplied. You know, every one of us in here should be investing in another person. We should be reduplicating our life as we follow Christ. We should be reduplicating that in somebody else's life. Pouring our life into them. Next, pray that God would save unbelievers. We should be praying for the lost. Romans 10.1, Brothers, Paul says, My heart's desire and my prayer to God is for Israel to be saved. Do you pray for people to be saved? I know you do. But we need to keep doing that, don't we? Next, we need to pray that God would exalt His name in the world. Matthew 6, 9, in the Lord's Prayer there, which we could easily call the Disciples' Prayer, Jesus said, Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. His name is exalted. You want it exalted in all the earth. Also, the next verse, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to pray that God would extend His kingdom in this world. Next, we want to pray that God would direct the use of the sword. What is the sword? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are to take the helmet of salvation. We're to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We are to pray at all times with all prayer and petition in the Spirit. And to this end, being on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So we need to pray that God would direct the use of His Word. This next one is one that I know we do. Praying for the healing of sick brothers and sisters. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Anyone sick? Pray for them. And in this case, you have the, the leadership praying for them. The next one would be pray that God would establish leadership in His church. You know, we do pray for the church that God would give us people that we could minister to. But do you also pray that God would raise up additional leadership besides me? I do. Acts 14.23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They prayed. We also need to pray for the success of other missionaries. Paul said in Romans 15.30, Now I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. Pray for other people that are involved in the ministry. You pray for other pastors, other churches, other believers. We all have neighbors. Do they go to church? Have you shared the gospel with them? Have you invited them to church? 
People that you work with, people that you meet in the line at the grocery store, do you talk to them about Christ? Do you pray for them? Do you pray as you're there in the line, praying that God would help you to open up your mouth and you start sharing the gospel with them? We also need to be praying for the unity and the harmony of the church. John 17, 20. Jesus said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Unity, harmony. You know, over in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said in verse 2, I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Help these women. They're not in harmony. You ever help anybody in the church that's not in harmony or unity with the rest of everyone else in the church? Or do you just kind of leave them to themselves? You have to pray for unity. The Bible speaks much about that issue right there. But here's you another verse. We're told in Ephesians 4, verse 3, to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Next, we need to be praying for the encouragement of the saints. You know, we don't always know what's going on in everybody's life. What happened that morning? What happened that week? What people are experiencing? We need to be praying for the Greens. Uh, Della um, was pregnant and she lost her baby Thursday. We need to pray for them. That's a hard thing. Did you know that Teresa lost two? We would have had nine kids. The other two had been born. Sometimes that happens. But we, we believe that life is at conception, so where's that child? In glory. They'll see that baby. We'll see our other two. But there are times when we just need to be encouraged, right? We need to be also praying for a mind of discernment. Philippians 1.9, And this I pray, Paul says, that your love may abound still more and more in full knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and without fault until the day of Christ. You want your love to grow. You want your knowledge to grow. You want your discernment to grow. Pray for that. We also need to be praying for a knowledge of God's will, Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Yeah, this is a good list to be applying in our life as we pray. We also should pray to know God better. Colossians 1.10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, multiplying in the full knowledge of God. We also should be praying 
for power to comprehend the love of Christ. Ephesians 3.14. This was Paul's prayer in Ephesians. For this I pray, or for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that He would give you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being firmly rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Well, we also need to be praying for a deeper sense of assured hope. We need to be praying for strength and endurance. We need to be praying that our faith not be destroyed. We need to be praying for greater faith. We need to be praying that you might not fall into temptation. We need to be praying that you would do good works. We need to be praying for the forgiveness of our sins. We need to be praying for the protection from the evil one. And if you want the verses to go with all of that, you can come see me afterward and I'll give them to you. But I want us to take now the the remainder of our time and I want us to pray. And the way I want to do this is if anybody in this room wants to pray out loud, go ahead, but just everybody not do it at the same time. I was in a church one time. The guy leading it said, let's pray. And everybody started praying out loud. That was confusion. So, pray one at a time. And so, as I said, the list that's in your bulletin, it's also going to be up here on the screen. And so, as we come to this opportunity now, I want us to end our time together with praying. And beloved, one of the things I do want you to pray about is our church. Christ church. This is the place that we are serving Him together in. We should be praying for the salvation of souls. We should be praying about our obedience to reach souls for Christ. To proclaim the gospel to people that we know that are lost. And bring them here to the place where they can be fed the truth. And I know this too. We, we tend to talk about things that we're excited about. You know what I mean? And if you're excited about this church, you'll talk about it. When I get excited about anything in my life, whether I'm with somebody, whether I'm attending something, seeing something, something is so exciting, it's worth repeating. Well, I believe that what we're doing here by proclaiming the full counsel of God is worth repeating. And you know what? As a church, we don't have any other program but what we're doing right now. And that's just simply because of our size. And so we need to be thankful for what we have. And we need to start right here by getting on our face before God and seeking Him and seeking His will for this church. 
So in addition to the list that I gave you, and what is going to be up on the screen, 